Welcome to the Federal Executive Forum Series on Federal News Network. Here's your host, Luke McCormack. Good afternoon and welcome to this special edition of the Federal Executive Forum celebrating 18 years of profiling IT mission programs in the federal government. This is our third annual Profiles in Excellence Chief Technology Officer Program, which will be coming to you from the virtual studios of WTOP and the Federal News Network. I'm Luke McCormack, and during today's show, we will discuss emerging technologies and innovation at numerous government agencies and hear from key leaders making them happen. With me on this show are Dr. Lisa Costa, Chief Technology and Innovation Officer, U.S. Space Force, Ted Akata, Chief Technology Officer at FEMA, Frank Individualio, Chief Technology Officer at NOAA, David Koch, Director, DLA Research and Development, Nick Saki, Principal Technologist, U.S. Federal Pure Storage, and Greg Shearn, Vice President, Tech Evangelism, Chief Technology Office, BMC Software. Dr. Koska, we're going to start with you. I think we're all excited about all the uh, commercialization of space, uh, and there's a lot of activity going on there, but there's also a lot of activity going on with nation states, et cetera. You must be incredibly busy over at the U.S. Space Force, and we uh, are delighted to have you on the show. Can you give us a uh, sort of a top line of uh, what you're uh, what you're focusing on in regarding emerging technologies, innovation, et cetera, as you evaluate and implement those across the agency? Well, Luke, it's great to be here, and thank you to Federal News Network for the opportunity to speak about Space Force and our mission. Uh, first, I, I would like to talk about um, the fact that um, we the threats that we see in, in space environment. Um, as the CSO indicated at the last space forum, um, uh, we're not only seeing the kind of standard SATCOM and GPS jammers, but more destabilizing uh, direct ascent uh, ASATs, um, uh, on-orbit grapplers, the nesting dolls, directed energy weapons, and, and cyber attacks. So, so the threat space is a very active one. Uh, our primary mission in the office of the CTIO in Space Force is to employ science and technology um, and analysis and innovation to create dilemmas for our adversaries. So that's kind of a tall order. Um, uh, so how do we kind of, you know, make sure that we're focused and our focus is always on operations um, and our strategy, which is one of enduring competition. So manage the escalation of any type of competition and work to mitigate or prevent moving toward any type of conflict. And that's what I mean by enduring competition. Uh, some of the ways that we're doing that uh, in the areas that we're getting after to, to accomplish that is helping codify requirements for operational test training and integration to make sure that our um, uh, guardians are ready, right? That they're combat ready forces and combat credible forces. Another area is improving space domain awareness, right? Doing all of the data management, um, the integration of the data fabric uh, in space to, in space and terrestrially, um, ensuring that those um, joint forces have the data that they need and the situational awareness that they need. Uh, and then supporting uh, the JADC2 um, and enabling command and control. 
uh, ensuring that the Joint Warfighter and the National Security Enterprise um, has the space information to incorporate space effects into our plans and operations. A lot of complex things to think about and a lot of activity going on there. So we really appreciate sort of the overall fabric there and uh, uh, really applaud all the work that you all are doing over there. Well, Ted, we've been up in space. We're now going to come down to the ground here and talk about all the activity going on at FEMA and the things that uh, the Chief Technology Office is doing there to ensure that FEMA is successful. Yeah, hi, good morning, everyone, or good afternoon. And um, uh, just an honor, privilege to be here with you, Luke, and, and the team here. And um, uh, I think Dr. Costa, yeah, so Dr. Costa said a whole lot of technology. I wish I could just cut and paste and just, just insert here because uh, uh, so much of the technology underlying infrastructure are similar challenges to us, I think, for um, FEMA, you know, it, it is uh, really simple. It, it's a it's a people first organization. We help people before, during, and after disasters. It's quite simple. Uh, the mission is elegantly simple, but the complexity of carrying out is uh, is anything but. We have a very large, um, you know, air of operations. You know, we recently had a, a typhoon hit Guam, a severe storm. Uh, that knocked out power in many parts of uh, Guam. You still have uh, generator power uh, trying to keep uh, uh, critical facilities like hospitals uh, going, um, and rapid repairs are occurring. Um, and it's been, you know, we've got a lot of challenges. We, we just came off. Uh, uh, there is no downtime, it seems, with us uh, and our and our mission partners. Um, uh, the ethos generally is to support locals uh, and state uh, governments and tribal and territorial governments. So we, we like to say, you know, uh, it is locally led, state managed and federally supported. So um, there is a, a, a rich tradition that goes back to the fire service, right, with fire rescue. So um, uh, we always uh, highlight the fact that, you know, your first responder is always your neighbor. Uh, that's something that, you know, at, at the federal level, it's difficult to even comprehend what that looks like. Uh, and your local fire department, uh, your uh, local city government is 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 who really leads emergency management. And we have a system of mutual aid in the U.S. Sometimes it's important to 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 look at that. We have counties helping other counties. We have fire departments helping other fire departments. We have a very very um, uh, 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 well worn and historic approach to incident command and incident management. Uh, so I'll start there. Why? Because we've had some real significant challenges, right? You think about this atmospheric river that brought uh, significant flooding to the West Coast uh, and, and, our, and our regions uh, for quite some time um, prior to the, the significant weather late fall, we're already assisting our, our team in the Southeast uh, because we had a significant hurricane, it was Hurricane Ian uh, and Nicole, we had uh, Fiona, uh, and prior to that, it seems like we don't get a break within FEMA, um, uh, and uh, we're trying to strengthen the workforce and provide the kinds of support services because we are fundamentally people first and uh, in everything we do. So um, uh, we never got a let up, and of course now we have had significant, uh, as you know, in the East Coast, we are now contending with uh, this sort of uh, uh, smog that's been coming down from Canada, right, and it's been affecting air quality and. Uh, and um, and of course, that's a reminder that the West Coast has suffered really catastrophic wildfires, and um, uh, and uh, uh, and with the potential snowpack flooding, 
in the mountain areas in the West Coast, it's it's likely to be uh, a continuing significant water management flooding event. So um, uh, it is complex, uh, and uh, it uh, we 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 like to say this is a whole of government approach uh, within the federal family. It's a whole whole of uh, the federal government approach as well as things affecting homeland security. Uh, we. We are uh, part of DHS and that the mission of DHS itself, and Luke, you know this because you were a CIO at the department, uh, it is quite complex. So um, uh, before we get into any tech, just a little bit of a short thing on how complex uh, the work uh, really is. And I'm just grateful for all of our partners. And it is an honor to actually uh, go before NOAA because, uh, and Frank uh, uh, individually, because usually NOAA precedes us. They, they tell <laughs> us where things are about to happen. So with that, back to you, Luke. Thank you very much, Ted, and uh, a, a great point there. And uh, yes, all response is definitely local, uh, but you have to deal with these things on a global perspective, which uh, insert NOAA, right? Uh, you're up in the air, and uh, I think a lot of people know that, and you're certainly down on the ground and below the ground. Frank, uh, give us a, a top line of the activities that are going on across NOAA to keep this country safe. Sure, uh, and thanks, Luke, and, and everybody for having me this morning. This is a, always a great opportunity. I'm, I'm glad to kind of talk about NOAA, but uh, in context of, of the previous two speakers, I think it, it really fits in, and uh, especially with our partners like FEMA, uh, which we work closely with, I really appreciate the opportunity. So um, NOAA, from, from a top line, right, we have a big, big mission area, right, from the surface of the sun to the bottom of the ocean. Uh, there is a lot of science that goes on in, in that area, um, and, and it really spans, um, it spans a number of timescales, right? So you think of kind of the weather forecast and that's a kind of a daily thing that happens every six hours but really from severe weather uh that's the minutes and seconds all the way out to policy which is more of a climate uh approach and that could be you know seasonal subs you know decadal and looking over centuries right we're, we're looking at really long-term changes in the earth system so in there there's there's a, a lot of science and it spans again that big mission space uh and there there are a lot of exciting things that 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 we do to, to kind of keep that going, right? And that's from the field right over to HPC and, and, and out to the productization parts. So um, in, the, in the lens of kind of techni te technology and emerging tech, I think the, the really exciting things that we do uh, really enable the scientists in the field, right? So, um, you know, people, and I'm sure other, other agencies that, that have gone or have talked and we'll, we'll talk later, you know, do things out in the field. That's that's a hard thing. Ted mentioned fire weather, right? A lot of data needs to go to the people who are responding to fires. People have to, you know, understand the weather patterns around fires. Uh, that's a lot of data collection. That's a lot of, um, you know, up to the up to the minute modeling. Uh, and there's a lot of advances that go into that. And but a lot of the technology around that will, whether it be, you know, how do I extend uh, the, the, meteor the meteorologist on the ground's ability to do their job? How do we get information back between agencies between uh, people responding? Uh, all the way out to, you know, how do we prepare people? Like if, if you're in the New York or DC area, just like Ted mentioned, in the last couple of weeks, you've had to deal with, you know, the fallout of, of fire somewhere else, right? In, in Canada and other places. And that happens in the West as well, right? So we've got a dose of things that have happened in other areas. Um, how, do, how do you prepare people? How do you tell people that to be, to be aware of, of these things? So it, it's kind of an exciting uh, time in, in that because a lot of the technology uh, that that's kind of readily available to us uh, is now being applied, right? How do we, we can extend computing out to the field in, in a way that we haven't, haven't been able to before, and that takes you know things like cloud and and, and networking, uh, but it really extends the the, the field personnel's uh, ability to do their job. 
and and things like machine learning and and um, technologies around that area will provide a lot of uh, additional capability, right? So how do we get better predictions? Well, if we can process data, you know, as late as possible in the forecast chain, get that data in, in at the very last second, we get a better forecast, right? That means a better product for everybody. So, so a lot of that work that that goes on um, really aids that the forecaster, and, and you can see that you know from machine learning to to things like uncrewed systems, where we can put uncrewed systems in places where you, you don't want to put people. Uh, so they extend the forecaster forecaster's ability to do their job uh, and get better data from the environment. Uh, and again, that extends across that whole big mission space. Uh, so it, it's a it's an interesting time, and it's an interesting uh, it's an interesting thing to see. All this stuff, all these technologies come together uh, and really aid the forecaster, and also aid your workforce, right? In the same way that we'll, we want to aid the forecaster scientists, uh, we can use those same technologies to ensure that our workforce can be mobile. They can work from wherever they want to. They they can keep things secure, right? So it spans not just the functionality, but also the business aspects of how we do our jobs, and making sure we have a secure environment, making sure that you know not only the data can, is safe and trustable for for our customers and stakeholders, but also um, so that we can do our jobs in a, in a, in a pretty, in a really effective way. Better data, uh, better instrumentation equals mm -hmm. better data equals better decision-making. So we really do appreciate that. David, all this technology being de deployed, all these activities, uh, but we got to get the beans and the boots out there. <laughs> Tell us about DLA and, and where do you fit into this ecosystem and, and where does the uh, research and development piece fit in? Oh, absolutely. Hey, thank you. Look, first, I'd like to thank you just for inviting me to be part of this esteemed panel. Uh, what, what an honor and what a great group of Our folks pleasure. that are on here today. Um, the Defense Logistics Agency has the mission, as you just alluded to, of providing that global logistics support to our warfighter. And we are so proud to do that mission from food to fuel to clothing to pretty much 85% of all parts for any weapon system, whether it's an aircraft or a tank or a vehicle or a ship. We're providing that, not to mention 24 distribution centers around the globe providing that support. So certainly the mission is complex and really important. But Defense Logistics Agency is very proud of the robust research and development program that we have established. And we're pleased to share some of those emerging technologies with this esteemed group today. Um, as the director, I'm focused on the following emergency, uh, emerging technologies that are not only important to the public sector, but I think you would agree that many of them are important to uh, the private sector as well. And we try to capitalize on the work that they've done. The things like communications and network technology, um, artificial intelligence and machine learning, as we've touched on a little bit this morning already, um, additive and advanced manufacturing, and how do you get that to the warfighter at the point of need so they can make what they need if they're in harm's way? Mm. Uh, supply chain risk management. It's important for our commercial industry. It's darn important for uh, for everything going on in, the, in defense. And of course, cybersecurity. So that, that's just a touch of some of the technologies that we're looking at in our R&D program. Uh, we do have 14 different programs spread across manufacturing technology areas and then also logistics research. Um, and I think that's important because we really do that global supply chain mission and the readiness of the service is of utmost important to us. So I'm excited about uh, talking about some of these topics as we move forward with uh, today's discussion. And so we're excited to, to part of it. And we're excited to hear about them. So we really do appreciate that. Nick Saki at Pure Storage. Where does Pure Storage fit into all this? and unlocking these capabilities for uh, for keeping this country safe. Well, good morning, Luke. Um, and I'm very pleased to be here today with this tremendous group of innovators. Um, and Pure is very proud to support our government agencies in leveraging their data to deliver outcomes uh, for the benefit of our nation. So at Pure, our core mission is to empower innovators to build a better world with data. 
by enabling them to maximize organizational leverage over that data and the economics of data. And everybody has has spoken to the topic of obtaining maximum advantage from their information to accomplish their organizational objectives, to reduce adversarial competition, et cetera. The, the challenge we've had, and you mentioned it, Luke, is instrumentation of the world has enabled us to know things uh, at tremendous resolution and tremendously faster than we ever have before. So we have more data from which to make decisions, but translating that from data to information to intelligence to knowledge uh, remains key in shortening the decision cycle for taking effective action. So what we focused on is how do we enable greater leverage over that data in order to help assist that decision-making criteria, but also how do we enable customers to leverage their data wherever, whenever, and however they want to? So that's driven us to create uh, ever more capable, ever more scalable, ever more sustainable, uh, and ever more secure systems for managing that data at institutional and wholesale scale. And that, that continues to be our focus uh, now and for the foreseeable future. And one of the things we're reflecting on, because we, we have our annual customer conference ongoing now, is 10 years ago, we had 70 terabyte systems and you know, 12 rack units. Hmm. Now we're able to deliver five times that capacity in literally one quarter of that space. So now you've got systems that provide access to multiple petabytes of data and incredibly small footprints. But also we've increased the access time, throughput, capacity, latency, you know, by orders of magnitude over where we were even eight years ago when I, when I retired from the Army. So you know, that, that seems trivial, but you're not talking about storage of data. You're talking about leverage of data. And that is fundamental to delivering on improvements and capabilities in every aspect of our data-driven government. So we're very pleased to be the leader in that area and very pleased to be the choice of um, actually several of the agencies on this call in assisting them in accomplishing their mission because at the end of the day, it's the outcomes that matter, not the technology. Sure, and the storage important accessibility is key. Uh, we're gonna take a short break and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. For the ninth consecutive year in a row, Pure Storage has been named a leader in the 2022 Gartner Magic Quadrant for primary storage arrays, positioned highest for ability to execute and furthest for completeness of vision. Pure has also been named a leader for the second consecutive year for distributed file systems and object storage. Pure uncomplicates government data management. Check out the Gartner Report to learn how Pure can help your agency reach its data potential at purestorage.com government. That's purestorage.com slash government. Internet connected devices are generating volumes of valuable data. Is your agency using it to its maximum potential? With BMC Helix IoT Edge, you can leverage AI and machine learning capabilities to collect, process, and analyze reams of IT and OT data in near real time for enterprise visibility, actionable insights, reduced downtime, improved mean time to repair, and lower operating costs. Learn more about the anomaly detection, predictive maintenance, and asset lifecycle management capabilities of BMC's Helix IoT Edge at bmc.com backslash federal. Welcome back to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. We are talking with the Chief Technology Officers and Innovation Officers Roundtable. And boy, do we have a lot of interesting things that we're talking about. We were just wrapping up sort of the top line, state of the state across the community. And I want to bring Greg into this conversation from BMC's perspective. You are the tech evangelist. Evangelize, please. Yeah, no, look, it, it's it's an awesome seat to be in uh, because 
uh, at BMC, we have a front seat view of all of the challenges, opportunities, and problems across the entire federal space, as well as the private sector. And so we can really see the common sets of, of problems that need to be solved with technology. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I, I see that's this common thread is every single organization is trying to become what I refer to as an autonomous digital enterprise. And there are certain capabilities that underlie this idea, and it's the capabilities of observability. Can I see what I have, whether it's infrastructure, whether it's assets, whether it's the data? Um, the second really big capability is orchestration. Can I, can I actually orchestrate all of these varied elements at scale? And the third really is resilience. Is it going to work when it needs to work? And, um, you know, there's kind of this big layer underneath everything, and it's the massive amounts of data that we are all creating all of the time. And there's one big factor, one big innovation that can help us unlock every single one of these, these capabilities and, and all of that data. And it's actually AI. And um, artificial intelligence is a little bit misunderstood because all of our attention is going to one discipline the large language models that are getting a lot of excitement, but you know, artificial intelligence has multiple disciplines, machine learning being one of them, uh, large language models being another one of them. And applying these technologies at the right place at the right time for the right mission really is what brings together this idea of the autonomous digital enterprise. Can we actually see what we have, orchestrate it, and will it work when it needs to work? And I think everything that we're doing is focused on that core mission. Uh, very interesting concept, and I love the way you kind of outline that. Uh, very important to understand that approach. Appreciate that. Uh, we're going to talk about a specific program. Frank, I'm going to start with you over at NOAA. Give us a top line on a, on a program that you'd like to highlight that you're working on over there at the Chief Technology Office. So I think... Uh... Uh, so I'm going to cheat a little bit and give you two, but I think, <laughs> I think that there, there, there's there's a lot of really exciting stuff that that goes into the the products and the forecasts that we do, and I think um, you know when we talk about technology, um, I, I, you know going back to the thing I mentioned before about extending people's ability to do their job and you know get more data, do more in, in, with with more technology that's accessible. Um, so in the in the area of high performance computing, uh, things like cloud uh, and, and and kind of really pushing the software envelope uh, are, are enabling not only the NOAA scientists, but also the community of scientists, right? So there's a, a program called Epic with a NOAA uh, and they're using things like cloud to, to really engage with the community and get the best, um, the best knowledge into the modeling and really move uh, operational models forward. So, so the, those kinds of programs really not only engage our stakeholders, but they engage our scientists in, in, in general, but allowing that tech, you know, the high performance platform, the software platforms to be accessible uh, to more than just internal NOAA, I think is really important. Mm -hmm. um, really provides a good engagement platform. Uh, and, and kind of along with that, there are a number of other programs that, that support all these things, but uh, things like uh, there's a, in the CIO's office, a, a program called the NOAA Open Dissemination Project that allows, uh, you know everybody to interact with NOAA's data, uh, to to kind of engage as a citizen scientist or an interested party, and it, it's got other other you know effects as well. It, you know drives parts of industry. Weather and climate data drives a lot of 
of industry around us, whether whether we know it or not, from shipping to farming to to whatever. Uh, so so really, it, it's it's a way to kind of not just improve our science, but it's also to improve the ecosystem around that. Uh, and then the other side of that is is and you know, and things you can see and things how how are we aiding people? Um, you know, there really is I think a, um, a tangible exciting benefits in, in things like uncrewed systems, right? As observation uh, platforms, as improved sensors, but really as a way to collect data that either we couldn't before because it was, you know, it was a hazard to people or or extends that, you know, the, the, the brave people that go and fly into hurricanes and, and, and really uh, they have the coolest jobs in NOAA, I'll just say it out loud. But, but you know, there, there are people out there that are, that are getting observations that are, that are doing really tremendous jobs at high risk and, and things like ocean drones uh, can can take you know sea surface conditions from um, from a hurricane and you know you can't do that with a person right so so those kinds of platforms really will extend the forecaster's ability uh, and and the science's ability to really understand events better prepare for them in the future uh, and really kind of put the best science forward to get there to get everyone's uh, no, no question then. Definitely some of the coolest jobs, uh, uh, certainly the most, some of the most important and uh, some of the bravest individuals mm -hmm. to take on that, uh, that type of work. And good catch on the, uh, the entire scientific community versus just the, the NOAA, which is comprehensive in its own right. Nick, Pure Storage, give us an example of where you all are doing some cool things with some of these agencies uh, that you'd like to highlight here. Yeah, absolutely. So, um... You know, trying to pick an area is kind of hard, but let's focus on some things like server, you know, for virtualization and hybrid yeah, cloud. We'll try our best to pick one. Analytics. So I will pick uh, AI. AI continues to be something where, as, as was cited before, the leveraging of massive amounts of data and the integration of that data to deliver relevant decisions in a, in a timely fashion has, has proven to be something for which we are ideally well-suited. So... Uh, a couple of areas where that's applicable have been uh, with the Department of Defense customer. We've talked about it before, the Department of the Navy. Uh, that, that AI as a service model is becoming rather more widely deployed across numerous agencies. Um, and it ties to a number of different things. How do you integrate that data with like geospatial visualization for NOAA's purposes? You know, how do you, how do you model the weather in real time and update that weather with most recent data, you have to have tremendous capacity and velocity of data in order to do that. So we've been, you know, very pleased to enable the rapid integration of multiple different data types across a couple of different agencies. Um, Space Force has an interesting use case as well. I mean, think about cloud computing, they're above the clouds, but the ability to move data across, you know, large scale three-dimensional spaces has been fundamental for things like our, our PortWorks platform for container-based storage and Kubernetes and providing that uh, platform agnostic maneuverability of data to the point of need and back to, you know, well, whichever point of need it is from the edge to the core and back again. So those are probably two of our primary use cases, AI and, uh, and cloud native computing capability, where we've been having you know, substantial impact, especially early on in helping agencies take advantage of these new and emerging technologies. We really do appreciate that. And you talk about the edge and uh, Dr. Casa, you know, the edge for you can be uh, um, uh, quite a ways away there. 
Uh, you top lined a lot of activity that you all are working on. I know you and the rest of the leadership are focused on a lot of areas. Can you give us an example of an area that uh, program that you'd like to highlight that's uh, really going to ring the bell and be super impactful for all the things you all are doing there? Absolutely. And and uh, as both Frank and Nick uh, indicated, it's very hard to pick one sure. because uh, I, I could literally speak all day about um, needing to create the Internet of Space things. Right. Um, and uh, uh, being able to put uh, cloud computing, elastic compute out at the very edge. Um, you know, at the point of data collection to process. But instead, what I'm going to talk about is I, I think our most impactful program to date in Space Force, and it's focused on our most important asset, which is our people. And um, Space Force is uh, inherently um, a highly technical agency or, or um, service. And we need to ensure that our uh, guardians, both military and civilian, are digitally fluent. So we have contracted out uh, with numerous companies to provide over 30,000 uh, digital classes via digital university. And so some people might be um, familiar with Digital University, Air Force uh, originally uh, put that uh, digital platform together. Uh, we simply expanded it in Space Force to include a number of um, uh, programs, uh, micro degrees, et cetera, to allow our guardians to pursue interests in data science, artificial intelligence, and deep learning natural language processing, cloud uh, security, et cetera. Um, so that's been incredibly successful. And a lot of our folks end up working shifts and um, it's a great opportunity to be able to continuously upskill um, your, your people. The second part of kind of upskilling our people is the super coder program. So, um, uh, some people might have heard of the uh, digital immersive, and that is our super coder program. Now, these are individuals in Space Force who have already been trained on their operational mission. So they already have expertise in a particular either network, system, constellation. Then we send them to um, immersive coding school and they learn to become full stack developers and they return to their unit six months later with those hands-on skills to both work on that operational um, uh, element they've been trained on and then to um, uh, be able to rapidly react to commander's needs in the field mm. and much like much like the Army has, for example, their um, airborne patch, um, we have a very similar thing for supercoders. Um, mm -hmm. They get a Z prefix and in, in their coding, so you can identify 
um, the super coders in your force from where they're at, and um, they get a super coder patch that they wear. And so that is a, you know, a recognition of the importance that we place on being able to have those hands-on, roll up your sleeve um, coding skills at the very edge of our force. Which is fantastic. And I presume these are uniformed uh, uh, employees in Space Force? They're both uniformed and civilian. Oh, cool. That, that, is, that is awesome. Billions of dollars of technology and uh, what, what a, a large program, a large focus on a very important area. I think that's awesome. I love the patch idea as well. Ted, you talked about a lot of operational activities at FEMA. Tell us about a program you'd like to highlight that the CTO office is working on to unlock all of that. Yeah, similar to uh, a lot of um, what's been said already and covered, right? So this, you know, really the idea is how do we look at data itself and how do we sense make? Uh, and then third, you know, how do we communicate it, right? If you don't have communications with your state, local, tribal, territorial partners, you don't have incident command. And in a sudden onset disaster, you don't get time back. You just don't. Yeah. So it becomes a no fail, right? So in other words, what, what is the backup to the backup? What is, how, how, how are sites more resilient? Uh, and um, and what is the data itself? Uh, what are the intrinsic biases towards the data? And that's obviously a, a hint at, at some of the challenges with regards to uh, AI large language models. But we already use that already currently within within the agency. We look at um, you know generative AI with regards to uh, major minor uh, destroyed uh, properties uh, after a hurricane. Uh, we'll look at roof lines to determine that, and that actually gets into uh, major decision making that goes into a presidential declaration. So, there, uh, uh, similar to um, I think some of the uh, the comments already made, um, machine learning has already been here for quite some time, well over a decade in the agency. So, uh, for us, it's uh, enabling and empowering data and communications for better decision making, whether it's in a hyperscaler cloud environment or not or on prem. It doesn't matter. Uh, we are really agnostic about that. And I think Dr. Kossin mentioned elasticity. That's exactly right. We have to provide um, the right data uh, to the edge. And in many ways, you know, how do we make a better decision? Because at the end of the day, all of this is so that uh, a federal coordinating officer, an incident commander can actually make a life safety decision uh, and uh, beginning the recovery process and, um, and the onward mitigation and strengthening resilience uh, um, uh, kinds of activities that will strengthen communities uh, and make the nation uh, stronger uh, to uh, what is an increasing pace for these uh, natural disasters and man-made as well. We call them adaptive threats, um, things that uh, uh, Frank has mentioned and, and, and our wonderful partners at NOAA. Um, you know, I think about T.S. Eliot's, you know, phrase, you know, we're Where's the information we've lost in data? Where's the knowledge we've lost in information? And uh, those of us in the business, we say, you know, where's the wisdom we've lost in knowledge? So ultimately, how do we actually em empower our workforce to actually make, you know, wise decisions and bring their the sum total of who they are and their life experiences to bear uh, in order to make uh, uh, the right decision, uh, one that is um, going to be providing the best outcomes uh, for our nation, our citizens, and our disaster survivors. 
better decision, uh, uh, real-time decision, can't rewind the clock. Uh, that's, that's no right. question about that. Greg at BMC, give us a an example of a program you'd like to highlight in respect to uh, incorporating this technology. Yeah, let's talk about uh, something that that applies in the federal space in particular. I think all all of the parties here and uh, and listening have assets out in the field that um, they rely on to be available, right? And so one of the things that we're doing with one of our uh, federal partners is making sure that we can converge OT and IT data to be able to speed up all of the actions that have to be taken based on what that data is telling you. So, you know, if it's an aircraft, there is two gigabytes of data that is being created in a single flight. How do you take all of that data, combine it with weather data and operator data and all of the equipment data, maintenance data, so that when that flight lands, um, all of the varying parts that have to be uh, put into place for that flight, for that asset to be used again, can be automated. Are parts ordered and available at the place that the plane's going to land because of the sensor data that's throwing off something? Have the um, operators been alerted and notified of potential changes in the mission that's going to be required with that particular aircraft? And when you have not just that one asset, but then a whole fleet of those assets with all of that data, being able to use AI to monitor that entire fleet and understand what's happening, it means that you have the right people at the right place, the right parts at the right place, and that those assets, that equipment is available when it's needed. Because many of these missions aren't pre-scheduled and pre-planned, right? They're highly reactive. And so how do you make sure that all of those technology assets are available? Because you're combining that OT and IT data in a way that can be actionable and automated. It's something we call precise or our uh, BMC Helix Edge, but uh, it's it's just a very uh, real world example of how all of these technologies can come together with a result that ultimately means that the work gets done when we need it done. Logistics on an epic scale. We're going to talk about logistics in just a minute, but we're going to take a short break. You're listening to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. For the ninth consecutive year in a row, Pure Storage has been named a leader in the 2022 Gardner Magic Quadrant for primary storage arrays, positioned highest for ability to execute and furthest for completeness of vision. Pure has also been named a leader for the second consecutive year for distributed file systems and object storage. Pure uncomplicates government data management. Check out the Gartner Report to learn how Pure can help your agency reach its data potential at purestorage.com slash government. That's purestorage.com slash government. Internet-connected devices are generating volumes of valuable data. Is your agency using it to its maximum potential? With BMC Helix IoT Edge, you can leverage AI and machine learning capabilities to collect, process, and analyze reams of IT and OT data in near real time for enterprise visibility, actionable insights, reduced downtime, improved mean time to repair, and lower operating costs. Learn more about the anomaly detection, predictive maintenance, and asset lifecycle management capabilities of BMC's Helix IoT Edge at bmc.com backslash federal. Welcome back to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. We are talking with the CTOs, specifically talking about, well, specific programs, quite frankly. I'm going to throw it over to you, Dave, to highlight a program regarding uh, logistics. When we wrapped up earlier, we were talking about lo 
Epic uh, Logistics. Oh, no, thanks. I appreciate that. And of course, limiting it to one uh, is it, tough, but I'm going to pick one that nobody else has talked about yet. And that's really the use of digital twin. As most of you know, you can do a digital twin of a whole bunch of different things. You can do it from a simple part. You can do it to um, all the way to an organization and, and run different excursions. Uh, for us right now, what we found is the sweet spot is a business process. So think of it as a logistics business process. And so we're pretty excited about this. We're actually embarking on three different digital twin projects of digital processes. Um, and, you know, business processes, you guys may remember back in the day doing sticky notes in a conference room, trying to figure out your business processes. Well, now you can use IT following that digital trace to do that process for you. And then you can start running excursions. Where are the weak points in your process today? Uh, what If I make a change to it, what's that going to do? Uh, we're super excited about it because we're trying to do a lot of business process reengineering in DLA as we're working our modernization efforts. And this will allow us to speed that up. And so we're excited about the opportunity that brings and uh, looking forward to uh, seeing who wins. What's what's the best uh, one of our three choices that we're going after right now? Fantastic. And just continue to iterate, iterate, iterate using that technology. I think that's great. We are going to talk about priorities. We are going to talk about your number one priority for this year. We're going to start with you, Dr. Costa. Number one priority for you at U.S. Space Force. This is a tough choice um, because I have a number of priorities. But if I had to choose, it's creating innovation uh, partnerships mm. across industry, academia, and our international partners. So, um, so focused on S and T, we are establishing five um, uh, new space science and technology institutes, and these are partnerships between industry, academia, and um, our international partners, um, and to ensure that we are working as a team and that we are having or we are gaining access to the best and brightest um, that the globe has to offer. Fantastic. And um, uh, you're operating in space and you're operating on a global scale to make sure that space is enabled. We really appreciate everything you're doing. Ted Akata, Chief Technology Officer, number one priority at FEMA for this year. Uh, yeah, this year, um, uh, you know, it's going to be things like observability uh, and open standards, uh, data sharing, uh, ditto to all of the above. But you know, got to say that um, the priority for me personally is is really looking 20, 30 years out. I'm just going to throw one out, uh, timing. Um, uh, given the, the panelists here, I thought I just, uh, with Dr. Costa and uh, with uh, Frank here from NOAA, you know, space and uh, everything above terra firma is going to be increasingly contested. Uh, and this touches on everything from quantum, from qubits to quantum routers, all the way to semiconductor fabrication, our national leadership around fabrication, uh, sub, you know, three nanometer, uh, and then building that capacity within our nation, uh, how to protect that supply chain, all of that, right, cyber, etc. cetera. Um, uh, but if so much of our infrastructure as a nation is dependent upon timing. And uh, I think national leadership is really required on that. Um, again, for FEMA, if you don't have communication and the data to make decisions, you don't have an incident command system. Uh, you don't have incident support and you don't have incident command full stop. 
So I'll stop there. I really do appreciate that, Ted. And uh, interesting, interesting comment about uh, you know everything above us uh, is open to be contested, and that's a very good point, Frank. How about at NOAA, number one priority for the Chief Technology Office at sure. NOAA this year? Yeah, and thank you, and and Ted and Lisa kind of uh, we're, we're we're all kind of thinking around the same things. I think uh, you know part of the th the things that Lisa was talking about and Ted were talking about. Are, are you know timing, edu you know educating, advancing the technology workspace. I think infrastructure and software, or specifically software uh, engineering, uh, is going to be the driver, right? So all this, we tend to look at IT assets as IT assets, but really they are part of a system. They'll and I think that processing will spread out, and that takes a lot of uh, not only services but also engineering, right? So I think the focus on um, speeding the process for software, more modern, you know, uh, paradigms and, and kind of looking at moving away from systems and into services improves the timing, like to Ted's point, and, and improves your overall uh, availability and, and and kind of response time. So I, I think a lot of that is, is where we're going to focus on really speeding up that process and 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 trying to speed, um, speed response by spreading out, you know, stretching the compute as far as we can. Availability, resilience, very key, and we really do appreciate that. Um, well, we're at a point in the show where we're going to wrap it up and start talking about the future. And of course, the whole topic is the future, but we're going to fast forward two to three years, and we're going to talk about what it looks like then. Greg, we're going to start with you at BMC and talk about, you know, what's in the, what's the demand signal coming from BMC? What's in the Petri dish two to three years from now? What are we going to be discussing on this show? What are you all going to be focusing on? Yeah, if I if I put it in very generic terms uh, first, emerging tech and innovation is only valuable to any of us if it can be operationalized, connected, and amplified. And so really what we're focused on is over the course of the next several years and even today is how do you take systems of record and turn them into systems of action? And so, uh, you know, AI is, is the secret sauce. Um, ultimately, the only way that we can turn our systems of record into systems of action at scale and at the pace and, and, and velocity that we need today is with AI. And so what we'll be talking about now and, and into the near, near future is how do you take action? In many cases, in most cases, automated actions on the vast volumes of data. Um, and, uh, and, and there's this, this magic sauce of uh, subject matter expertise that we often uh, like to forget. So you can't just you know, leverage technology to do it. You still have to invest in the, the uh, subject matter expertise combined in, in that picture. Uh, good catch there. And certainly uh, Space Force is doubling down on that. Yeah. Yep. Nick Saki, pure storage. What's it going to look like in two to three years, Nick? So, Luke, thanks for asking. And I want to I want to dovetail on something Greg says. You know, technology exists to amplify human capability. That's that's why we build things is to make us better, more powerful, more flexible, and adaptable to our our changing environments and needs. So, at Pure, you know, we're going to continue to drive innovation and data service across five key dimensions of security, simplicity, scalability, sustainability, and speed. And we're at an inflection point where we're seeing the transition of media from spinning disk to memory-based storage, similar to how we see transitions in locomotive from internal combustion engines to 
um, you know, battery electric vehicles. Uh, so we're improving capacity, throughput, accessibility, and driving down the cost of data. This year, we uh, we launched our 72 terabyte drives. Uh, in the next two to three years, we expect to deliver drive capacities of 300 terabytes per drive. And that'll effectively increase the capacity um, and scalability of, of data systems by about fivefold from the current point today, which is going to be absolutely critical based off of the amount of data that we're able to collect and our need to uh, act on that data in ever shorter time frames. So if you think about that, and you're talking about literally petabytes per, per rack unit, but that data is available to thousands of applications simultaneously. So that's, that's our focus. It's really data at the wholesale level, and how do we deliver that? And to do that, we are, we've been building our own drives for nearly five years now, because there's just no way to do that if we pin ourselves to you know, commercially available commodity technologies. High storage, high availability. We really do appreciate everything that you're doing to enable this community. David, at DLA, two to three years from now, what are you going to be cooking up at the Research and Development Center? No, I appreciate that. So, you know, we see a future in, in DLA where we've really expanded that joint whole of government integration of the key industry 4.0 technologies. And we're doing that in a couple of ways. Of course, this is hard to do, right? You can't just implement these kind of things on the scale that the Defense Logistics Agency has with worldwide operations, whole of government, the services, you know, around the globe, around the clock. So one of the ways we've done that is uh, we've recently stood up um, our applied research for testing emerging, emerging technologies environment. We call it RTET. And this is our own cloud-based environment where we can test some of the very uh, hard-to-do IT-laden projects in a government cloud so we can use real data, we know it's safe, we can test it, and we can export it into transition quickly. Uh, we think that that's critical. We think that's an enabler for getting to things like a full digital sustainment platform where we can provide bi-directional flow between the military, uh, DLA, and industry partners to provide the right 3D data that's needed to really have a modern manufacturing environment. So super excited about that future, and we're doing a lot of things to get us there now. We're really looking forward to that and appreciate everything that you're doing. Frank, how about over at NOAA? Two to three years from now, we'll have uncrewed autonomous vehicles all over the globe, perhaps, right? Uh, yeah. What will the CTO's office be then focusing on? The focus will be really on addressing kind of the, the now rapid pace that we all work at, right? So things like AI, and we've mentioned it a bunch of times today, um, are really going to have, have the not possibilities, it's more probability of changing the way, not only the way we work, the way we um communicate with our with our constituents, right? So things like generative AI can be a really um, interesting way for people to interact with, with weather and climate data, be able to find it easier, understand it easier. Uh, it'll make hopefully the forecaster and science, scientists job easier. So a lot of that work and how we engage with folks and how we integrate technology into that, I think will be uh, the kind of drive, right? Making, making you know, impacts from the climate change accessible to, to the average citizen or the, the layperson, making, you know, better alerts for, for weather, you know, impending weather danger. Um, and I think a lot of that, uh, you know, combined with the kind of physical science, social science, and now all the AI and machine learning science that goes around all, all the work that we do, I think really needs to incorporate. And I think that's where the focus 
And the real innovation is going to be in the next couple of years. How do we engage the public? How do we use technology to do that? And how can we better communicate our mission? And continue to unlock that uh, very important data for uh, everyone to, to, to make those real-time uh, decisions, including the incidents uh, commanders. Uh, Ted, what you had spoke about two to three years from now, uh, you know, with uh, with the environment ever so complex and continuing to get more complex, where will the focus be two to three years and now, two to three years from now for the chief technology officers organization? Yeah, so that's a great question. And and when you think about it, uh, hopefully with regards to this hype cycle for new technologies, uh, hopefully the bubble will be burst on AI a little bit, right? Because I think there's just, uh, folks will learn, we'll have policies that help address things like a bias in data, unconscious bias. And if you just, you know, watch Shalini Kantaya's documentary called Coded Bias or Kathy O'Neill's book on weapons of math destruction, I mean, uh, the conversation's already happening. So hopefully, you know, we'll, we'll get past this and we'll actually get to the real work of, of how to actually do this. So uh, one thing I, I think for the workforce, because there's so much noise uh, and, 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 and I don't mean signal, I mean wisdom, going back to Elliot. Mm. Uh, the, the idea is you're now seeing the growth of, uh, and I think it's gonna mature in the next couple of years, this whole field of personal knowledge management. Right. So in other words, knowledge gardens and these kinds of things, because the limiting factor in all of this is the human, it's the person. Right. And how, how do you actually uh, center humans used and especially the federal workforce? Uh, people join the federal government because they're patriots. They want to serve the nation. They are there to help others. Full stop. It's not about them. Uh, you, you, you think about uh, we're about to celebrate Juneteenth and uh, uh, African-American black soldiers, uh, the Buffalo uh, Brigade, right? I mean, in World War II, you think about um, uh, uh, still celebrating in Normandy, right? Uh, the heroes that, uh, the second Rangers that assaulted Pontu Hawk, right? We have a, been a nation of selfless service to the citizens. It doesn't matter where you come from, what you look like, how you think. Uh, all of these things are, are really part of our, our nation's fabric. And um, I think we bring our authentic selves to work and strengthening that ability to, uh, to, to journal, to think, to make connections uh, uh, and to center ourselves in our, in our personal sort of knowledge gardens, I think is going to be something that I, 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 you're seeing in industry, the beginnings of that, to formalize that. You saw nascent technologies, I think, 10, 15 years ago. Uh, and um, I think that's going to kind of burst on the scene uh, because that's really the antipode, right? That's really the counterweight to things like misinformation and disinformation and PII spillage and personal information, et cetera, right? All of that, uh, the, the counterweight is the human itself. It's, it's wise choices and the, the, the kinds of resiliency that the federal workforce uh, will increasingly be, uh, uh, I think, uh, I'm an optimist, is going to be increasingly strengthened in the next few years. The counter force is the human itself. I love that. Thank you very much, Ted, for those words of wisdom. Dr. Costa, two to three years now, we fast forward, we have this global collaboration that you've prioritized. We've got tens of thousands of coders out there, super coders, what will you be focusing on? What will your organization be focusing on two to three years from now? So, um, you know, I, I love the answer that Ted just gave about um, a diverse and inclusive workforce and 
absolutely one that enforces belonging um, is important, right? Because um, it increases well-being. And so um, uh, absolutely, but, but I'll talk about a different kind of resiliency and that's resiliency of our space architectures, right? We need to move from what has been a brittle um, space architecture to um, not only a resilient one, but an anti-fragile um, space architecture so that we can integrate emerging capabilities at scale and just in time. And so that's what I hope that we will be talking about, um, you know, two to three years from now. Uh, that includes things like software defined everything. Um, there was a discussion earlier about digital engineering, digital twins, digital um, factories. Absolutely. Um, but they need to be augmented with immersive visualization because there is a lot of information coming in. And the more information does not necessarily mean better decision making. And so we need to understand what information is critical uh, to making a particular decision. And um, I believe that the real key is visualization of those different courses of action and those choices. So I believe that in um, uh, I, I use generative AI a lot in the speech to image area. Mm -hmm. And um, as we get more sophisticated in that arena, I believe that we will be able to, with words, describe a particular environment, a, a particular scenario, and then have that generated for an individual so they can operationally train and test in a realistic um, threat-informed environment. Well, we're certainly looking forward to that. And I see a, uh, a green field in your future for, for sure. Um, I want to thank all of you for taking the time out of your busy schedules to join us on this program and for everything that you do to fight the good fight, keeping this country safe, et cetera. We really do appreciate that. I want to thank the sponsors for supporting us on this show. I'd like to thank the good people here at Federal News Network that make the program so successful and enjoyable. And most of all, I'd like to thank the listening audience out there that tune in every month. You're listening to the Federal Executive Forum, part of the Federal News Network. Thank you for listening to the Federal Executive Forum series on Federal News Network. This show was produced by Treza Media Group. If you missed any portion of this show, you can listen to the show in its entirety and on demand at federalnewsnetwork.com.